Welcome to the Depth Chart Podcast. My name is Freddie Maggard. I'm joined by Nick Roush in Louisville. Uh, Nick, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. It's a uh, it's a little Good. toasty, a little balmy. Uh, I'm I'm afraid I might be killing my my snow peas. There's my garden update, uh, or my yeah. sap peas, not snow peas. But the tomatoes are starting to get some buds. So yeah, um, I'm just hoping that my 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 gardener while I'm away, aka my father, uh, can can keep them alive a little bit longer. Well, let's hope he does. Is uh, because that's important. Growing your own vegetables is is your uh, what we what we talk about in the KSR football podcast. Your interest to the second level of manhood, right? Uh, right. Exactly. Of, of adulting. Yeah. So, uh, on a the, serious the, note, as we get, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say the only problem is is you ever just like consistently forget something, like yes, uh, whether it's. Your ear, there's always just one thing that you, you always leave behind. For me, yeah. it's, it's my, my, my mom has had these tomato cages. I've been to her house seven times with the intent on bringing these tomato cages home. I finally pull them out, have them <laughs> sitting on the patio, still forget to bring them home. So one day I'll get these tomato cages over uh, into my garden. One day. Yeah. You need to channel your uh, Rich Brooks and get your tomatoes taken care of there. Seriously. seriously. Or, or maters as, as they're called back home. Uh, on a serious note, Nick, um, I like to dedicate today's podcast to uh, to a great, great man from my hometown. Uh, Mel Hardy passed away this week. Mel is the dad of Vinnie Hardy, who hosts a podcast and does a lot of media for UK. Uh, Mel, I tell you, Nick was he was he was a once in a generation. Just the kindest, nicest man uh, that I've ever known, uh, and I knew him my entire life. And and you can just you can substitute me saying this for everybody that grew up where we did. Uh, that Mel was just a, a fantastic, sweet soul. He's going to be missed. He was a huge, huge UK fan. Always had a smile on his face. So I like to send out love, uh, condolences prayers to the Hardy family and to the whole Tri-Cities community where I'm from because, uh, again, he was he was well-known. Everybody knew him. Everybody loved Mel. And uh, rest in sweet peace, my friend. Yep, thoughts and prayers out to the Hardys. Uh, it's never easy, never easy to lose. No, it, it isn't. And, and, and Mel was a great one. And he would want us to go forward uh, with this podcast because he loved the Cats. Nick, I don't think we can start any podcast now uh, in any other fashion than talking about the quarterbacks. Oh, love it. It's it's quarterback competition season. Yeah, you, Ryan, and Matt are 100% sold on Will Levis being the starting quarterback at Kentucky. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing, Freddie. I've been – I was uh, admittedly not in the loop whenever he entered the portal. It caught me off guard. I, I didn't anticipate this happening. And I was like, really? What's going on here? Uh, we got ourselves a good car- quarterback competition as is. Bringing in another guy? What's the deal here? And off the jump, he seemed to be the guy. And for all intents and purposes, it was because – he was, in fact, Liam Cohen's guy. He got brought yeah. in 
just to, I mean, for that, I mean, by the offense coordinator. So I, I, from the jump, I presumed that it was, I presumed it was going to be him. Then spring happens. And there was a little bit, a little part of me that said, you know what? I think, uh, I think this might not be a open and closed case here, but as the further we get away from spring football, the less and less I'm hearing of Joey Gatewood and the more and more I'm hearing of Will Levis. So I, I, yeah. I think that the, while it was overall uh, good this spring for Joey Gatewood, it ultimately did not seal the deal by any means or even come close. Yeah. And I think this is Will, uh, Will Levis's job for the taking. Yeah, I think spring was used for really install and becoming familiar with the offense for Joey Gatewood and Bo Allen. Uh, <clears throat> then enter Will Levis. I still think there's going to be competition. I mean, I, I do think that Gatewood and Allen will be given uh, a fair shot to win the job. And I've not seen enough of Will Levis to be all, all chips on the table, all in, like like you and Ryan and Matt. And, and Matt said, and I quote, if I were a betting man, I would take a large sum and bet it on Will Levis starting game one for Kentucky. So uh, that, that's a pretty strong statement from Matt. And normally he does not say things like that unless he's fairly certain. So yeah, and uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. And you're right. Cohen brought in his guy, and his guy was Will Levis. That's mm -hmm. who he wanted. And you get that tra that grad transfer, even though it doesn't matter anymore because of the portal. You know, and people forget Joey Gatewood was a transfer. So right. uh, I still think that Bo Allen and, and Joey Gatewood will get a shot at the job. I, oh, I definitely. It's, it's not sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. Here, Will Levis, this is your football team. He's going to have to earn that uh, because quarterbacks are competitive by nature. And – they will fight for the job. And once a starter is named, then we could see some things happening there. I, I don't know what yet, but uh, you can never have too many, but three may be too many for uh, for the long term. So uh, big implications in this quarterback contest, Nick. And But I'm like you. I, I'm seeing that – I'm reading the tea leaves here, and it's saying that Will Levis could very well possibly be the starting quarterback. Yeah, and, and if we're going to be completely honest, it was very bad business for the KSR folks to say, hey, uh, Levis is going to go ahead and win it months out in advance because we love talking quarterbacks. The fans yeah. love it. it. There's so much intrigue around it. You're 100% right in that they aren't – like Levis isn't showing up and getting all the reps with the ones. There's going to be right. a quarterback competition. But I do think all in all he has the best tools. But here's the thing too. He doesn't have the experience with this. He doesn't have that wide receiver camaraderie yet. He, he's got to yeah. develop that. But I, I do think that from a physical aspect, as, as long as he can make the strides that they expect, if he can pick up the offense as they anticipate, he'll be the guy. But there is some assuming in that because, I mean, if, if he could have done that at Penn State, wouldn't have he been the starter ahead of Sean Clifford? Yeah. So that, that's what yeah. makes this uh, – that's what makes this kind of <laughs> uh, an imperfect science, if you will. Yeah, and, it, and then coaches like like Leon Cohen, like every play caller in America, thinks that they can do something for a quarterback that others could not. 
But I agree. And Will Levis may turn out to blister the SEC. I don't know. I've not seen him play. I've seen highlights. I've seen cut-ups, et cetera. But, but like you said, I mean, if, if you know, if he was that dynamic, he, he looks like he would have beaten out Clifford at Penn State on a team that was not very good. So, again, I think it's an open competition. I, I think everybody's on Levis and probably should be. Uh, but I would have a little pause there that, that uh, Gatewood and Allen will get their shot. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's going to be probably the first two weeks of fall camp because I can tell you uh, fall camp is a long period of time, especially <laughs> if you factor in NCAA and SEC mandated breaks, time off, limit in contact practices. That's spread out over 30 days. You, you know, it used to be in a in 100 years ago when I played, you'd have three a days the first week. Then you'd go to two a days for the next, you know, it, it was it was different. Now you can only go once per day. And, you know, you have to spread that out. You have to, you have to factor in fun activities for the players and, and kind of give them breaks in between. So uh, fall camp's going to be a, a long period of time to evaluate. But I do think that first two weeks or the first 15 days should be an indicator on who's going to be the quarterback. Right. And that gives them, I think, a scrimmage, maybe a second. Um, but you want to talk about Wong. That's a, It's kind of like uh, seeing the coaches at some of these camps. They look like they don't know what day of the week it is. <laughs> because, yeah. and, and that's how fall camp is, where you kind of yeah, seeing the same four corners of the building, the, the field kind of incessantly. It's just. Whew. Yeah, it's long. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's not as physically demanding as it used to be, mm-hmm. but I would say it's more mentally challenging because there's a lot more, uh, meeting room work. There's a oh, lot, yeah. lot more film room, a lot more walkthroughs, uh, than the days of, you know, uh, because I mean, you, know, you can go back to my era, fall camp was used somewhat to get in shape, even though you worked out all summer, it was still, uh, working on conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. To get to the first game. So no matter and, who the quarterback, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, and, and to even further it this year, those walkthroughs where they, they don't, I don't even think they can use a ball. Like that's part yeah. of what makes it a walkthrough. They're going to yeah. be much more demanding because it's going to be a new offense. And, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, just the, the mental mistakes won't be accepted. Now, the way that, Cohen discussed it too is in the spring was that the kind of culture that Stoops has that they're pretty professional you know it's not like That's a true. huge drop off between uh yeah it, just their approach they're not wasting much time so that's right. good but you're you're exactly right though Freddie there's going to get a point I'm going to say it's around August 18th where we're going to be talking to these guys after practice and they're just going to be like oh <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> no i mean 100 i mean you know i've been on every side of this thing and i can tell you that you're right uh that you're just you're just looking for a cliche to say just to get through the interview mm-hmm. because there's only so many different ways that you can talk about going over the same plays day in day, day out against the same opponent which is your own team day mm-hmm. in and day out it, it, it's a long process and, uh, you know, again, we'll see. But the quarterback, whoever inherits, inherits the offense, uh, there's a long way to go in the passing game. 
a very, mm-hmm. very long way to go. Um, all accounts, and I'm in the camp that believes that Leon Cohen is going to change the dynamic, the intent of the offense to include the forward pass. Uh, I'm going through KSR on my post and, and talk about, you know, I'm doing defense this week, but the sacks, where did they come from? How many players are back? How many numbers, interceptions, et cetera. Getting to the offense next week, and we'll get into yards after catch because there wasn't very many yards after catch. No, no. But just taking a look at this offense, Nick, Kentucky completed 59% of their passes last year. Isn't terrible, but you want to at least be in that 65% threshold or above. Yeah, and that's Kentucky- 59% of the passes. And uh, I'd be willing to wager that not many of those passes were attempted further than 10, 15 yards on the field. No, we'll get into that in a second, but no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Kentucky had 243 pass attempts last year. Now, how does that stack up against the upper echelon of the SEC for comparison purposes? Florida threw 473 passes. Alabama threw 425. LSU, 421. Mississippi State, 557, which is the other side of the spectrum. So Kentucky only only threw 243 passes, less than 22 uh, per game. That's not a lot of passes. So the opportunities weren't there due to the play caller's intent. Eddie Grant's intent was to run the football because that's what Kentucky did, did mm-hmm. well, has done well for years. Finished in the top three of the SEC, average right around 200 yards per game. So you do what you do good. You do what you're comfortable with. Kentucky ran the ball well last year, but 59% completion, only 243 attempts. That's low. Now, look at the yardage. Kentucky passed for 1,336 yards. Uh, comparatively, Nick, Florida, 4,543. Bama, 4,656. So, <laughs> not only did Kentucky complete a low percentage, had fewer attempts, Low yards, it only averaged 5.5 yards per pass attempt. How does that compare? Bama at 11, Ole Miss 10. Uh, so, again, not, not, a lar- not a large amount of yards after the catch. Uh, touchdown passes, Kentucky had seven. Florida had 46. I mean, it, there's a big discrepancy in a lot of what, what I'm getting at with all this. At 121 yards per game, which is 122nd in the nation, Kentucky has a lot of room to improve. Statistically, this time next year, or let's just say this time in November, you're going to see a big, big change in these passing numbers. And I do think that Cohen's offense is going to be quarterback friendly and the receivers are going to benefit from uh, being schemed open to have yards after catch. We did not see that in the Eddie Grant era. It was usually – if there was a catch, you catch it, and it's to the ground. Mm-hmm. But I think that you're going to see a lot of changes in this pass offense, and that's what's got so many people excited about the offense. But it also, when you look at how Kentucky is projected or, or predicted in SEC rankings and national, national rankings, there's so many unknowns with this offense, people don't know how to project Kentucky in 2021. Right, right. I mean, it's 
it's hard to tell. Uh, yeah, but because when you look at the addition of Wandale Robinson, new coordinator, yeah. there's naturally you would expect it to improve just to what degree. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, you also wonder, well, they're going to throw it more, but how much is more? Because you still have a big offensive line and a guy by the name of Chris Rodriguez back there. Exactly. Exactly. So, so penciling in numbers, Freddie, I'll predict Will Levis, but I ain't predicting what their numbers are going to look like. Uh, yeah, I'm not either. But, but if you're looking at other SEC offenses, I think Kentucky would be much more like Ole Miss and less like Mississippi State. Ole Miss averaged 33 pass attempts per game, which is not a whole heck of a lot. That's it? Uh, that's it. 33 pass attempts per game. Felt like it was a gazillion. And 3,449 yards. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah. 300. Yeah. Ole Miss 335 uh, uh, pass attempts per in, for the season. You know what it is, Freddie? It's – we're easily deceived by big plays. Yeah. If you can – which I, I don't I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me. But the big plays, they account for the highlights. And yeah. so when you see the highlights, you think, well, oh, well, they must be winding it up, throwing it all over the field every down. And I, that, that's proof right there that they're not just <laughs> – you know yeah. that they aren't doing that every single play. I'm actually looking up their long scrimmage plays right now because Ole Miss had they were third in all of the explosive long scrimmage plays. Yeah, and they did it. I guess it's it's all about timing up your shots. So it is uh, the key it for is. Kentucky to be timing up those shots. Yeah, and then you had a large amount of yards that were after the catch. So you and you had a running back that that uh, uh, what's his name Ely. Uh, carry on Ely, who is a very good running back, also caught the football well. So, if you look, if you if you try to compare, in my opinion, it'd be a lot, lot more like Ole Miss and less like Mississippi State. What it's going to look like, and, and I'm excited to see it. Um, we're proud. We're, we're we're extremely proud to have a new sponsor, Nick Roush. Man, I could certainly use some of it right now. It's hotter than heck outside. <laughs> feel really dehydrated I, I could use some shield by sword for performance life is thirsty work but water and traditional sports drinks just don't cut it nick no they really don't created in kentucky sword performance offers shield a brand new innovation in the sports drink world with both with bold fruit flavors balanced electrolytes and natural ingredients shield hydrates better and faster than water and quenches thirst for any one at any time you need some right now Nick. you you need to hydrate man oh and i'm i'm in a room too that i use a window unit so i've got to turn it off to podcast and it just it gets steamy and i've been drinking coffee all morning i need yeah. to, to hit reset and, and get some shield by sword go ahead be relentless nick shield always has you covered hydrate now with a bottle of shield available at your local kentucky convenience stores learn more at drinksword.com Built in the bluegrass, built by Sword Performance. We're happy to have Sword back on board, Nick, mm -hmm. and they're going to be with us through SEC Media Days. Oh man, and that—that's one of those two where we're going to get gassed, just pounding away at our keyboards. Really like the the lemonade. You know, it's not too yeah. sugary. That's the thing about those other drinks too, Freddie. 
too much yeah. sugar and it doesn't actually quench your thirst that's not the case with shield by sword so try some today and you can order it online drinksword.com exactly thank you again to sword performance nick havoc defensive havoc um Kentucky had been really, really good as far as habit-producing numbers in the past on defense. Kentucky, the last two seasons, has finished fourth as far as total defense, so top five SEC defense, which is very, very good. But let's take a look at, at some, some havoc numbers from the defense from a year ago and see what Kentucky has to replace going forward. We'll start off with interception. Kentucky led the conference last year with 16 picks and finished third in the nation with those 16 interceptions. So uh, 2020 was the year of, of the interception for the Kentucky defense. A lot of explosive plays with that defense. And if you look at it, 10 of the 16 or 63% of those interceptions are now play are now in the NFL. Kelvin Joseph, Cowboys had four. Brandon Eccles with the Jets had one. Jamin Davis with Washington, three. Phil Hoskins, the Carolina Panther, had one. And Boogie Watson had one. So Kentucky has to replace 63% of the players that intercepted passes a year ago. So this is a common theme for me if you've listened to this podcast or other podcasts is I know we want to talk offense and quarterbacks. It's so important. But you lose six players to the NFL off of defense, that's a lot to that's a lot to replace. Mm-hmm. Now, Kentucky is a is a is a player development program, meaning even after a mass exodus of players to the NFL after the 2018 season, Kentucky actually improved defensively statistically across the board. And then last year, so I think Kentucky's going to be just fine, but that's a lot of interceptions to replace. Mm-hmm. No, no, you're exactly right, Freddie. And the uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the one area where I'm. Well, Kentucky got the interceptions by playing sound pass defense. They didn't get it through the pass rush necessarily. I know right. there was at least a couple against Mississippi State were like that, um, but you have some safeties. And yeah, that, that can come up and make plays, but you're breaking in new cornerbacks. And yeah. I, that, I mean, some of those plays were just, I mean, Kelvin Joseph just jumped that ball at Tennessee, you know, yeah. and, and Jamin Davis, they don't grow Jamin Davis's on trees. There aren't dudes like him that can play Mike linebacker and cover as well no. as he can. So there's some natural stuff that you're just not going to be able to duplicate. So you're going to find it in other areas by, uh, getting after the quarterback and yeah um you know when, when kentucky lost calvin taylor they struggled in that i know calvin had a couple batted balls that if, if if they didn't lead to picked off passes they at least presented the opportunity so other guys have to create more opportunities because you just don't have bona fide ball hawks out there at least that right. we know of yeah um but we weren't saying that about jamin davis going into last yeah. year um so you know carrington valentine is, is a He's been highly talked about. I know Drew Phillips. Uh, I'm blanking on some other names that Seven are young guys. Four. Right. Like he's played a lot of football there. So I'd imagine that there's going to be some somebody in this group that has a couple picks that we aren't anticipating. Uh, because you're right, this is a player development program, but there's still that uncertainty 
<laughs> going into the season. Yeah, there is. And, and, and you, you touched on if Kentucky is to replicate the, the 16 interception season, which is going to be tough to do because, I mean, that's third in nation. That's a lot of picks. You sure. forgot about the most athletic interception of the season last year was was by was produced by Phil Hoskins when he oh, took yeah. the ball to himself. So he's gone to the NFL. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at it, that's a lot gone. Uh, but I think, and you touched on it, I think having Yusuf Corker, Terrell Asian, and Devontae Robinson as your starting safety nickel players that's as good of a group collectively that Kentucky's had in a very long time. You could go Mike Edwards, Darius West, Devontae Robinson was very good also. But I think the strength of the defense right now is that third level. And they, they're, they'd be, they're going to play center field to somewhat inexperienced corners. So I think you have it covered that way. Um, uh, but if you look at the interceptions by breakdown, the linebackers had the most interceptions last year, mm -hmm. followed by the corners, then the safeties and nickels, and then two by the defensive line because Josh Pascal went 76 yards after an interception, got tackled on the two-yard line against Mississippi State. So it's going to be interesting to oh, see. Oh, they still and, give him crap over that too for getting yeah. caught. <laughs> yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how – uh, if Kentucky goes back to having a high number of sacks, which we're going to talk about now, uh, just like 63% of the interceptions are in the NFL, 54% of all Kentucky quarterback sacks from a year ago are now playing in the, in the NFL. So you lose Boogie Watson, who had five. Jamin Davis had one and a half. Uh, uh, Phil Hoskins had one. And then you go down to Jordan Wright had three and a half who is going to be your your lead pass rusher in 2021, uh, Kentucky. The, the U.K. side has Kentucky with 14. College football stats has Kentucky with 15. Any way you cut it, 14, 15 sacks in 11 games, dropped its average from 2.54 a year ago to 1.3 sacks per game last season – or two years ago to last season, 1.36 or so. Uh, Kentucky's going to have to find a way to, to get the quarterback to the ground. Yeah, and we heard good reviews of Josh Pascal from yeah. uh, the spring. Yeah. And that's, that's what we need because Josh has been close. He's been really close. It's about getting home, and that's how it is for a lot of these guys. Yeah, it's, They're close, but they're not finishing – he was finishing a lot in the spring. Need need to finish that. Yeah, for Josh, in a 3-4 defensive end position that he plays, a really good season as far as sacks for him at that position will be 5-6, somewhere around there, 7, would be a really good season for him. Have one last year because in Stoops' defense, that 3-4, most of your pass rush, or your sacks have, has come from that outside linebacker position. Look at Zadarius Smith, Bud Dupree, Josh Allen, Boogie Watson. I mean, you have that position that's your designated pass rusher. And the linebackers have contributed a lot. But uh, like you said, I mean, I, you, you brought up a name earlier, Calvin Taylor Jr. 
one of the most under undervalued or underrated players that Kentucky's produced. He had eight and a half sacks two years ago. So going to have to have that from that defensive tackle position. And, and we'll see how that works out because it's going to be uh, Isaiah uh, Gibson over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have Octavius Oxendine. It's going to have new players in those roles. And how they can get after the passer is going to be very important. Yeah, I, I'm not worried that much about their run defense. And I think they're going to be no. stout against the run. But it's right. just having that giddy up off the line. And Pascal's one of those uh, kind of freaks, for lack of a better yeah. term, who can do that. So need him to play big but the, yeah. the one thing i did want to bring up though freddie uh you know we were talking about picking off passes there's a new guy who could contribute to this he's probably a better blitzer though than he is actually in coverage and that's uh jacques jones who yeah yeah announced he's uh committing gonna be a wildcat john summerall expects the former old miss leading tackler to yeah. be on campus on monday you, you you segue perfectly into uh, the next part of our discussion is, and I wrote about this on KSR is I think Kentucky, the transfer portal is in its infancy stage. And I think Kentucky has won year one of the transfer portal era of college football. And, and I'll say that. Let's look at the incoming players first, Nick. You tell me if these guys are impact or not. Jacquez Jones. Uh, leading I mean, tackler at SEC school, good. Yeah, most likely you're starting Mike linebacker. I mean, you know, right. still going to compete. But but here, here's what I got to say I th- about I th- the addition I think- of Jock West Jones. Nick is mm-hmm. not only could he be a starter at Mike. The only inside position that we've been talking about this entire offseason is Mike. We've we've neglected the wheel linebacker position, which is DeAndre Square. Because he's just been there so bad, you know. Yeah, he's He's been there forever. He's your guy. He's the quarterback of the defense. But who have we talked about being behind DeAndre Square? Yeah, we haven't talked about Jerry Casey much, no. Yeah, so now with Jones coming in, you can slide Casey possibly, if he doesn't win the job, over to behind DeAndre Square – you have Fulton, possibly Trevin Wallace. Uh, you know, now you're having depth at both inside linebacker positions due to the impact transfer of Jock West Jones to Kentucky. And I think in the ideal world, Freddie, let's say let's say Kentucky opponent runs 70 plays a game. Yeah. I think ideally you have Jones and Square taking 40 to 45 of those snaps. Yeah. And then Jared Casey and Trevin Wallace taking 25 to 30 of those snaps. Probably, yeah. I think that's hey, ideal because there's so much wear and tear. Uh, yeah. I think even Summerall admitted to at one point last year, just giving guys too many reps, you know, yeah. and, and that that just weighing on them too much. Well, I was just, just quickly looking at the schedule – I see teams that, that's going to have a high number of plays in Mississippi State, Tennessee, Louisville. Uh, you know, there, there's more. Missouri tries to go fast. Other teams are. They ran a ton of fast. plays last year against Kentucky. Yeah, so <laughs> there's going to be a lot of snaps. Florida, they'll try to they'll try to do that as well. Yeah, so I think with Jones, it solidifies the mic, but it also solidifies the wheel position because it gets yeah. quality backup. 
and you don't have to force Casey to like cross train or anything. You right. know, he he'd already been moved around once. No need to try to move him around again. The next one I'm gonna leave up to you, Trayvon Morgan. Uh, you you did the extensive piece on him and know more about him than anybody else. But I would say that uh, if you're looking for wide receivers or maybe a tight end, I mean, getting a big six foot six target is going to be a net positive uh, yeah. in your receiver room. I know that Reem Cohen's really prioritized speed, but they don't they don't build too many guys as big as Morgan who can be a big target. And even if you do the mod Wagner thing and you only catch a handful of passes and you, and some of them are uh, clutch pass interferences, then that's a net win. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Luke Fulton. We've already talked about him quality depth at, at inside yeah. linebacker. I, I actually haven't seen Morgan in person. I saw Fulton. I thought he was a tight end. Yeah. He's big. <laughs> at one of those camps, he is an enormous dude. That's yeah. a, Definitely look good in shorts, first one off the bus kind of guy. Will Levis, we talked about him already. That's another mm-hmm. impact incoming transfer like Fulton, like Morgan. Wandale Robinson, certainly anytime you're, you're the front runner to win the Paul Horning Award before you've taken a snap at your new school. And we know what Robinson can bring. And, and I think it's we're going to learn more about him. Uh-huh. But that's certainly an impact transfer. Same with Justice Dingle. Kind of gets left out of the conversation there. That's true. At the Jack linebacker position, because uh, you know with Boogie Watson gone, uh, there's you know that that that's an opening at that position. Does it, does Jordan Wright move over there? And certain packages, Justice Dingle running down. How how that's done, I don't know. But Justice Dingle is a quality transfer that's incoming. Let's look at the outgoing. Terry Wilson. You know, Terry had a had a good run at Kentucky. Yeah, it was a good run. It was solid. Yeah. No, no, yeah nothing, solid. you know, uh, it had uh, a high or two. It had its fair yeah. share of woes. But uh, yeah. I think the we were always waiting for Terry to take that next step. He just did it. But he was, yeah, a, I mean, he was a fine quarterback. Listen, he's the first player in Kentucky history to throw for 3,000 yards and rush for 1,000 yards. So he did something. He did a lot of something's right. Wishing the best. Alan Daly was a starter at receiver. Is that South Alabama? Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a ton of receivers coming in. You got a you got a group of uh, of Cummings, Drennan, Tate Crooms that are going to be second year players. Chris Lewis, we'll Magwood, yeah. Crowdis. Yeah, uh, who I'm, I'm leaving somebody off. Obvious, Devontae Ross. Who Devontae else? Devontae Ross. I'm leaving off somebody else, but. Yeah, there's a lot of talented incoming yeah. guys. And it's also, yes. Freddie, when you look at – I don't want to paint it so clearly black and white, but it's kind of how when you've got a mid-level three-star guy, you just look at the offer sheet and that can tell you a lot about him. Look where some of the guys are going exactly. versus where the guys at UK got from. Kentucky got, yeah. what, six transfers from the Big Ten? And yeah. I think – MJ Devonshire to Pitt and Quay Mahone to Temple are the only we'll call them power six. We'll lump in the American there. But I think yeah. those are the only kind of big time programs that any of these outgoing guys went to. Yeah, two corners that 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 transferred out, I think, you know, are going to sting somewhat. MJ, MJ Devonshire to Pitt, Jamari Brown to Purdue. Uh, 
you know, it's already projected. I've read some read up on Jamari Brown that he'll he'll be starting at Purdue at corner and good for him. But he, he had a hard time cracking the lineup and staying there. So he fluctuated on the depth chart. Uh, Akeem Hayes to Arkansas State receiver didn't really have much production. Bryce Oliver, I don't know where he's going. Did see a lot of production there. Nick Lewis, you know, you have Jeremy Flax, you have uh, uh, Darren Kennard, then you have Keontae Goodwin coming in, you have Grant Bingham coming in. I mean, it, it was it was a log jam there at tackle for Nick. And then uh, Nick Ognanovich, is that how you say his name? Ogenovich. Ogenovich. I think he's going to a Mac school. Yeah, he's going like to Akron. Said, yeah, Quay Mahone going to Temple. So, if you look at the outgoing and then you look at the incoming, I think it's fair to say, Nick, that Kentucky significantly won the transfer portal in the first year of his existence. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say. And what's crazy too, Freddie, is we thought we were going to say this a few weeks ago, but it, thinking about the transfer portal, you never know when it's going to wrap. <laughs> so yeah. um, now I do know that starting next year, they'll have uh, deadlines for yeah. if you're going to transfer within the conference. So it'll at least be scheduled a little bit tighter. Uh, but for the first year, Safe to say, Kentucky Kentucky's off to a good start when it comes to yeah. recruiting that portal. Absolutely, and, and I think by not losing, you know, a significant number of, of of contributors, you can speak to the culture that Mark Stoops has built at Kentucky, and and, and it's it's one of, of solid nature and, and good nucleus coming back. Uh, the final thing we'll talk about, Nick, is are, are the camps. You and Adam went to a bunch of the camps there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's your highlights of all that? Well, uh, first and foremost, I would like to say that that indoor facility is hotter than a sauna when you put a couple hundred people in there on a humid, sticky, muggy day. That place, whoo, I was sweating like a center in church. It was, it was it was it was tough so uh but all in all there was some really the one thing i've noticed freddie it's state they got some really good offensive linemen some really good young offensive linemen hayes johnson from taylor county he just finished his freshman year he picked up an offer uh there's a six nine kid from madison central who camped there the other day who's going to be a junior this year i believe he has a kentucky offer there's also a kid from boyle county uh, Taylor Zosmer, I believe is his mm-hmm. name. He yeah. he's he's going to be defensive man. Yeah, he's he could be a really good five tech. Um, yeah, because he's got some in the state, in size the and weight to him. You know that game you had Zosmer for Bull County, mm-hmm. and, and then you had Mormon from Franklin County too. UK offers the running back. So yeah, yeah, uh, he's a, a big lot, kid lot of too. Talent. Yeah, I'm glad to see that he's getting offers. I thought he would. I, I was I was sky high on him after the state championship games. Same with Zeismer. I think they're two really good young players. But you know, can't recruiting is is totally totally changed. Um, I myself enjoy evaluating eleven and eleven tackle football, mm-hmm. but recruiting is now a game of camps. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's just the way – it's just the evolution of the game, evolution of of the recruiting process, that you go to these camps, you work out. Some players do, some players don't. Uh, What I liked 
more my top storyline of the entire camp season at Kentucky so far is the fact that the twins from Nashville, uh-huh. Keaton and Dustin Ke- Wade, yeah, went to Kentucky camp as four stars and competed. I like that a lot. They didn't have to. I already have the offers. You know, they've already got Kentucky offers. They're already committed to Kentucky. But they went to camp and competed. I really like that about those two. Well, in in because they used it like a real summer camp where you're going to get better and work with your coaches. Yeah. Uh, whereas most time camps are seen as a tryout of sorts. Mm-hmm. I think at least in what I like more, at least about in this case versus, you know, your five-star challenge or whatever the hell you want to call it. A lot of it's just to give the coaches a little bit of affirmation. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times kids will come out and they'll get offered, but sometimes uh, there's one guy who's, I believe is officially visiting this weekend, Ryan bear, big offensive lineman yes. from Ohio who he went to Ohio state in camp thinking he might get an offer, did not get one. And now many believe it'll be either Kentucky or Virginia as to who will get his services. So it is funny though, because like this camp works this way, this camp works another way. And it's also uh, for the folks too, it's not just for kids wanting to go D1. So a lot of the more talented guys there, we would say, oh, who's that? We turn it, come to find out they're JUCO kids. Well, the JUCO kids may not be getting Kentucky offers, but there's guys from Murray State, Moorhead State, Eastern Kentucky, Center. There were guys from Marshall. There Wednesday, uh, you know, the old Alabama running back coach, uh, Charles Huff, who I believe is the head coach now, were, were, were scouting talent. So they could, it's not just for kids who want to play in the SEC to go to these. Uh, you know, all, a lot of people are seen by multiple schools when they go to them. But it is yeah. different, Freddie, and I feel like yeah. I just missed out on – this was starting to happen as I was in high school because I don't know if you if you remember Patrick Graffery, remember that yeah, name? Yeah, I do. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was he was the guy who gave Drew Barker the old one too. But yeah, he was my age, went to North Harden, and it was almost like a Cinderella story where he wasn't being recruited at all. Played well at camp, and Joker offered him a scholarship, and he just accepted it sight on scene on the spot. Now it's kind of become the norm where you're offering guys at these camps. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I've changed my tune because, you know, you either evolve or die. And I understand the necessity and I understand the importance and I understand the impact of these camps and I appreciate those camps. Uh, But, again, for me, I I like seeing 11-11 tackle football. Call me old, which I am. Call me old school, which I don't know if I am or not. I mean, some things I am, some things I'm not. So – uh, but they are you can't you can't underestimate the importance of camp season, especially in 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 a country that's been locked down due to COVID restrictions for 15 months. So I'm just happy to right. see the kids out there running around having fun. Yeah, you know, and yeah. competing and being around people. Take the football away from it. I'm enjoying seeing that. So again, I lean more to, towards what they do during the fall, but I, I totally get it. I've changed my, uh, my thought pattern on camps. I understand them. Um, it's the new wave and I appreciate what those camps stand for. And, and it helps get 
young people's college scholarships. So I'm all for that. So uh, camp season is is exhausting for everybody involved. And uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, it's man. a ton to track. Yeah. CJ Conrad just looked like he needed a nap on Sunday. Yeah. Because they had oh, all the official visitors in. And apparently, too, when you're the GA that used to play, you know, and have some success at the school, they wear you out on those official visits. You got to do everything. <laughs> not, not only are you, uh, you know, guy that has his picture up on the wall, you're also the guy who has to do all of the the tough work too. So, <laughs> I, kn- I know he's doing a yeah, he's doing I, a great job. I know he's working hard over there. So uh, yeah, all those guys are. But hey, you know what? Everybody should be tired during recruiting season. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Everybody, us, yeah. them, the players. It's it's busy times, man. I mean, it's it's a year round cycle now. I mean, it really is. Um, do, do you see where uh, their cats are after uh, Bobo's kid? I did. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> uh, I saw that Auburn offered him, so that's where he's at. Right. So right. that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard to overcome. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. Then Georgia, uh, you know, that's that's going to be hard to overcome because there's ties there. Right. But hey, if anybody can do it, it's John Summerall. Uh, there's also. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tennessee's just offering everybody that Kentucky's offered. Yeah. Weird how oh, that what's works. New, what's new about that? I mean, uh, and, and you got to see uh, Gavin Chadwell at camp too, right? God, he's so big. He's not the biggest I've seen. The biggest kid that they had at camp was this kid from Georgia who's committed. He committed to Georgia as a sophomore. So, you know, we'll kind of wait and see how uh, – how that turns out, like, uh, you know, it's a long time commitment, kind of like Michael Williams come into USC. It's a long way away from signing day. A lot of stuff can change, yeah. but this seven cloud kid, Freddie, his thighs. I mean, I don't mean this to like make fun of the kid at all. I was just flabbergasted. It looks like he's got ham hocks. I mean, they are, I, I mean, it is a tree trunk every, my goodness. I don't know how. And, and he's explosive, too. Like, he moves really well. I mean, you want to talk about a good-looking defensive tackle prospect. The, yeah. Those defensive linemen, I remember being at some of these early camps, and you would get some good receivers, and you get some good skill talent. Getting the defensive linemen, th- those are harder to find. And Anwar, credit – shout-out to Anwar Stewart for he's – yeah. he's been getting some dudes to, to come and camp at Kentucky. Hamar Stewart's doing a great job. I mean, not only, I mean, you know, I, I know, full disclosure, is a friend of mine. Right. Uh, but watching him on the field when he was a GA or, 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 or analyst, whatever he was, you could tell that he, he, he was, he was uh, trending towards being a, a, a very good coach because he is a great developer of, uh, and he's a great teacher. He explains things in a manner that's understandable in a camp setting or uh, in preparation to play LSU. He's from that Pete Jenkins tree, you know, of uh, defensive line coaches. He's very knowledgeable. He teaches well. He can recruit. He, he, he's he's becoming quite the asset for Mark Stoops on that staff. But uh, when, when you when you go to camps, you know, you can have a great receiver. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have good dudes throwing to them, it, it kind of yeah. voids out that performance. But if you're at a camp setting like that and you see some real legit dudes at defensive line in those one-on-one drills, that jumps out at you. 
just how big, how quick, powerful, explosive, twitchy, the whole deal that some of those guys like you're talking about, that is the most noticeable, in my opinion, talent during a camp setting is, is defensive line. One, one thing that I would – I could spend so much – like. I, what I could actually pull out of it to, to use for articles or whatever, I don't know. But I could watch Wolford and Coach Wolf and Stu going back and forth and inside drill all day. They're just hilarious, man. <laughs> They're just hilarious football guys. Like sometimes, yeah. the, you know, during those one-on-ones, you know, they, they aren't these – like the, they aren't like a rivals camp or a shoe camp or anything like that where – you know, they're going to glorify some kid picking up at somebody and slapping them, you know, yeah. Wolf's blowing the whistle dead. As soon as it happens, that's a hold 10 yards. First day. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. There's no yeah. messing around. Uh, you know, <laughs> Stu, uh, coach Stu one time was giving a kid crap because a, he kept wanting to go from the same side. And then he just, he, the one thing you don't do in these is bull rush. That's right. Because you do not have pads. What? Are, oh, I mean, it's just, it's so much fun to watch him just yeah. be football guys and, and coach and get after it, you know? Well, then they get mad. The offensive guys get mad because you got the pass rush. Everybody goes high, you know, I mean, no matter, you mm-hmm. know, young guys, they go high. So what, what does that leave out that the offensive lineman can do? Cut them. You can't cut without pads. Right. So that takes a whole element out of the, the equation. So there's a lot you can tell in these camps, but there's a lot you can't tell also. So, oh, uh, yeah. But it's of, fun, though, and we're, we're going to have more. I know there's a couple quarterbacks working out next week that look it's going to be that are watching right down that Kentucky's interested in. That could be the, uh, you know, Cohen did bring his guy through the portal. He's got Destin Wade on board. But having a full year in change to recruit somebody – that could uh, – those could end up being the guys that Kentucky really pushes their chips all in on over yeah. the next six, seven, eight, nine months or so. Yeah, the quarterback board is something to pay attention to because – and, again, a lot of these guys are going to be waiting to see to see how this Kentucky offense operates, see the intent of the coordinator and how that translates to improving the statistics that we talked about earlier. Uh but one thing you can do is go to drinksword.com. Yeah. Built in the bluegrass, built by Sword Performance. So we're happy to have Sword Performance back mm-hmm. in our camp, Nick Roush, in our depth chart podcast camp. Yep. Yep. And, and we're going to be and, uh, chugging it down at SEC Media Days. Exactly. And again, uh, uh, rest in sweet peace, Mel Hardy. Uh, Vinny, if you listen to this, man, we love you, brother. And, uh, I'll be there Saturday and, and uh, you know, to the whole Tri-City community uh, where I'm from. Uh, condolences and, and much love. So thanks for listening. And uh, remember, Sword Performance, built in the bluegrass, built by Sword Performance. Hey.